Netflix and chill ice cream. Ferrari, Mercedes-Benz, Little Caesars, DoorDash, Fairway Market, and 23andMe on this week's episode of News Entrepreneur's Experience. Welcome to this edition of News Entrepreneur's Experience, where I take a little bit of time every week to go through a couple of the most recent business headlines to try and pull out a thread from these headlines that entrepreneurs can either relate to um, or maybe something that they're experiencing. And I do this because oftentimes I think that entrepreneurs are Uh, kind of alone with their thoughts. And while there is a lot of good business advice out there and there's a lot of good business coaching, sometimes you just want to hear some kind of practical, pragmatic opinions on either what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. And uh, that's what I try to do. I try to either put a stone in your shoe to annoy you about something you know you should be doing or to encourage you to keep going down a path that you're not sure is going to produce the result that you're looking for. And so if you think that it's lonely being an entrepreneur and you're looking for something different in your ears to help you build a profitable and valuable business, well then I hope that this episode is able to do some of that for you. So thanks for tuning in. Certainly, as always, the beginning of the show just want to give a shout out to those of you that text me as soon as the episode goes live and the Facebook messages, or sorry, the Facebook and the LinkedIn in particular messages that I get asking me um, about my opinion on either something uh, that they had heard uh, in the episode or just some questions in general. So I love, uh, the joke is that I love hearing myself talk and with these earbuds in my uh, in my ear while I produce uh, this podcast, I get to hear myself talk, but hopefully you get to benefit because you get to pick up on some things that maybe you were thinking about, but you thought maybe you were the only person thinking it. And it turns out there are entrepreneurs and CEOs running publicly traded companies and big businesses that are basically trying to do the same thing that you're doing at whatever level your particular business might be at. So thanks for tuning in. Let's get started with the first episode, which was, um, you know, kind of obvious. You got to admit, when I saw the headline, I think myself, along with a lot of other people, thought, yeah, of course. How come this didn't uh, happen sooner? Netflix and chill ice cream brought to you by Ben and Jerry's. Yep, Ben and Jerry's has decided that they, not decided, announced and put out a Netflix and chill ice cream flavor. And uh, some of the details here, it's peanut butter ice cream with sweet and salty pretzel swirls and fudge brownies. And of course, what they're looking to do is capitalize on a social trend by satisfying customers who didn't even know that this is what they wanted. And isn't that the truth with most great products that end up being adopted by uh, customers is that they didn't even know they wanted until they saw it. And then all of a sudden, boom, they kind of can't get enough of it. And so Ben and Jerry's, they're in the ice cream business and they make all sorts of flavors. And, um, you know, being able to identify a new flavor in and of itself, kind of not a big deal. You might be thinking, Dylan, like, who really cares, man? I'm an entrepreneur. I got real problems. I don't need to talk about ice cream. I need to talk about how I'm going to manage my cash flow or I'm going to pay off my debt or how I'm going to get rid of my marketing guy who's just not generating enough of a result or wrestle my sales guy to the ground or my sales gal 
because they're not producing the results that I want. Well, I thought that, first of all, this was an obvious opportunity. And I think as entrepreneurs running businesses, you can kind of get stuck just like in your own business and you can miss the obvious stuff. So even though it's about ice cream, Netflix and chill, Ben and Jerry's making Netflix and chill and ice cream, obviously that seems obvious now that we've heard about it. But could the same be said about your business? If you had to, if you absolutely, you know, drove over to your coffee shop and sat down with a pen and paper in your notebook and said, okay, I'm not leaving here until I find a complimentary or ancillary product or service that I could offer to my customers. An obvious one. You know, we're in this particular market. We deliver this kind of product or service to the marketplace. And of course, it's obvious we would do fill in the blank. What opportunities could you be overlooking right now that would, you know, do a couple of things, either improve the experience that your customers have when they interact with your business, um, continue to solve a uh, problem that your customers have that they use your business to solve for them? Is there, are there other problems that are very similar to kind of the core problem that you're solving for customers? But the point is, I have yet to be challenged by an entrepreneur that said, look, we do X. And that's all we do. There's nothing else we can do. There's nothing else we can think about. We cannot leverage our knowledge, our experience, our team, our customer base to do anything else. So if you're thinking ice cream, Ben and Jerry's, Netflix and chill, and somehow that relates to me having to figure out what else my business could be doing for customers, then hopefully you find that helpful because that is, uh, all jokes aside, that is very meaningful. It's meaningful to Think of all the time and effort that's gone into your business, into creating a customer base, into creating the products or the services that your customers hopefully enjoy, and being able to leverage that and find new things for them. Really, a lot of times, I think, just requires some creative thought. And maybe, you know, this little soundbite is enough to get you going down that path, or maybe you need to do something a little bit more extreme. Maybe you need to sit with some of your best, best, best customers and just have a conversation about what's going on in their lives, what's going on, um, uh, what problems is your business solving for them. And as you listen to them talk, maybe you start pulling some threads out of there about new products or service that your uh, products or services that your business could be offering to them. So you can you know, walk away from this episode and do this yourself. You can go talk to your customers or just maybe get around some other entrepreneurs, maybe read some biographies on how some of the kind of marquee companies in the marketplace have been able uh, to do this. And there's lots of those types of examples. But hopefully what you're not okay with is just saying, we only do X, we do it really well. We uh, don't think that we need to do anything else for our customers because uh, chances are as an entrepreneur, if you're trying to build something valuable that's meaningful, you are going to have to figure out a way uh, to leverage what you're doing into other opportunities. Just like Ben and Jerry's coming up with a new ice cream flavor. All right, well, moving from Ben and Jerry's all the way over to Ferrari or Mercedes-Benz, this really kind of caught my eye, mostly because I'm a math guy. Um, for some reason, I just find math interesting and profit margin and value and all that sort of stuff. I Excel worksheets, <laughs> I find those interesting. Um, but this article came across that had sort of there was some work that was done into figuring out how much money does Ferrari make per car compared to maybe some of the other car companies in the marketplace. And it sounds like it, kind of Ferrari earns somewhere around $80,000 a car profit. So this would be like profit per car sold. So after, you know, you sell it, 
deduct all your expenses, what's left? $80,000 per Ferrari compared to Mercedes at $10,500. Now, I'm not sure these numbers are like, you can't take these numbers to the bank. I don't think that the fellow that put this together, I'm not sure that he would, you know, he would say that his math was perfect. So instead of getting caught on the exact math, I think it's important to consider the concept for a minute. A Ferrari has an engine and some wheels and some leather and some paint, and it takes you from A to B. Uh, Mercedes does that too. But to earn $80,000 per sale versus $10,000 per sale, those are that's like a kind of a pretty big difference. Now that difference, there's a lot to talk about there. And so I'm, I'm not looking to kind of strain out, you know, why Ferrari versus Mercedes, what makes them better or worse, but rather just to highlight the, the concept, the idea that, that value is perceived. Value is not a rational mathematical calculation that customers use when they spend their money. Certainly when we're talking about luxury goods, that is not the case. People will pay disproportionately more, so that means they will value something more, uh, depending upon the experience or based on the experience that they have while using that product or that service. And so in this case, there's an argument to be made that the perceived value of a Ferrari would suggest that it can, it can command $80,000 of net profit versus a Mercedes, which can command about $10,000 worth of profit. Now, these companies obviously have different strategies. One is mass market, one is mass mass market, if, if that's how you want to look at it. One is luxury, one is sort of more middle of the road, if that's how you want to look at it. But that's not the point. The point is, in your business, if you're competing on price, and I happen to be involved in businesses that are very, 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 very price sensitive, price is probably the worst thing to compete on because it's also the easiest thing to compete on if you have the upper hand. Meaning if you have a bigger war chest of cash than your competitors, then you can just simply price war um, until they can no longer um, uh, survive in the marketplace. But if you're not the one with the big war chest and you're in a price war, then you can't afford to keep dropping your prices um, because eventually you'll just go out of business. So at some point, there, you know, it's prudent, I think. I think, again, these are all just kind of my opinions, um, what, I th- what I think based on my experience. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. It's just meant to get you thinking. And so what this got me thinking about was a, is that many entrepreneurs don't stop to really consider the value of what they're providing to customers. A lot of times entrepreneurs just say, this is what we do, this is what we charge, next, 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 next. But they don't pause to say, but this particular solution that our business provides to, the, to customers or to the market, what does it cost if our customer goes somewhere else? Or if they had to solve this problem in a different way, what does it cost them? And then what could we be doing as a business to improve the experience that our customers have? How can we deliver a better solution to the problem and then charge disproportionately for it? Dylan says that value is perceived. And so therefore, if we can create more perceived value for our customers, we could charge more, which means our margins would be higher, which means our bottom line would be higher. And instead of having to sell 100 Mercedes to generate a bottom line that's really healthy, we could sell, you know, I don't know, what is it, 47 Ferraris and get the same result. So we could earn the same amount of money with less effort if we could figure out how to understand the value that the perceived value that our customers have when they interact uh, with the product or service that our business offers. And so I think it's a an exercise that 
you can talk about very easily, but as an entrepreneur, if you've never sat down and really kind of worked out, why do customers use us? What is the problem we're solving? If they had to solve that problem somewhere else, what would it cost them? And how can we do a better job and get a better price, get a better margin for doing the same thing? Um, You know, I think it's worth the time. I think, quite frankly, I think it's worth the exercise and it's worth the time. And again, if you're not sure how to do this, just take a look at the market that you're in and say to yourself, okay, are we competing on price? Yes, no. If the answer is yes, we compete on price, then if we were to increase our price, we would have to improve the experience that our customers have when they interact with us. Well, how do we do that? If we are, you know, I think a simple example would be if we're a retail business, how do we add an online aspect to what we're doing? Conversely, if we're an online business, how could we add a retail aspect to what we're doing? Those are just two very, you know, kind of simplistic examples of how you would attempt to answer this question. Um, But if you've never thought about, first of all, I never thought about how much money a Ferrari makes versus a Mercedes Benz, but it did get me thinking that I'm not sure many other entrepreneurs also think about the value that people are paying for when they use their products and services. I think they think of it more on a transactional basis. It's just X, we compete on price, we just have to have the best price, and that's what wins us the sale. And while that might be true, it might also not be true if you can come up with some other ways to add value to the experience that your customers have. So Ferrari, Mercedes-Benz, there you go. That's how much money they make. Um, Moving right along from... Uh, Ferrari, Mercedes-Benz to Little Caesars and DoorDash. Now, this was interesting. Just as a side note, I didn't even realize that Little Caesars doesn't deliver. Um, you know, I got a pretty big family. Little Caesars happens to be the pizza joint that we take advantage of. Um, but they didn't have a delivery service. I didn't know that. And so what, they're, what they've done is they're teaming up with, they entered into a strategic relationship, partnership with DoorDash, the online um, uh, the delivery service where you get a bunch of drivers and they deliver food for all sorts of um, different restaurants and uh, um, uh, businesses like Little Caesars. So Little Caesars, in time for Super Bowl, is going to be making the announcement that they partnered with DoorDash, who's now going to be delivering their pizza. And while that may not be revolutionary in and of itself, aside from the fact that now I know they don't deliver pizza, because um, I didn't really realize that before, um, but that Domino's, their competitor who owns, um, you know, kind of they're the other large player in the marketplace from a market share perspective, Domino's uh, has their own driver force. And so Little Caesars looking to compete with um, Domino's knew that, I imagine they knew, I mean, I'm not Little Caesars, but I imagine they knew that they couldn't, it wouldn't make sense to build out their own driver network and the technology and all the logistics. And so it probably is easier just to piggyback off of an existing infrastructure. And so they knocked on the door of DoorDash and said, hey, why don't we partner up? So that's what they've done. So where does that lead me? Well, that leads me to thinking about entrepreneurs who think that they're great at everything in their business. And even if they don't think they're great at everything in their business, they try to do everything in their business because either A, they don't trust that other people could do it better. And that take some honesty that many entrepreneurs aren't prepared to, to admit. Um, but kind of more real life would be that they just, they think they can't afford it. And the truth is that um, you there's an argument to be made that you can't afford not to shore up the weakest link in your business somehow. And it doesn't always require uh, writing a check up front. A lot of times you can enter into strategic relationships and do more of a pay-as-you-go service. 
where as the results speak for themselves, that you are able to pay for them at that time. But the point is that as an entrepreneur running a small to medium-sized business, until you have all of the uh, expertise and knowledge in-house to take care of your weakest links, you're best off to always keep a running list you know, on your phone or somewhere you know, a prioritized running list of the weakest links in your business from weakest to least weakest, if you want to call it that. And then kind of work through when you're doing your kind of strategic thinking or you're having your coffee or you're you're mulling it over with your business partners. You know, what could we be doing to shore up this weakest link? What other, what kind of relationship could we enter into or partnership or how could we outsource something that we're not very good at, but if we outsourced it or got into a partnership, you know what, we'd probably win some market share and improve our bottom line. And if a company like Little Caesars, as big as they are, one of the two biggest, uh, one of two market, one of two big market players, Domino's and Little Caesars, kind of duke it out every day for market share. If they had gone this long without a delivery service, eventually they, they, they looked and said, we got to, we kind of got to fill in this gap here. We got to figure out what to do here. So, uh, what they did to firewall it, which I thought was interesting is they said, you know, you're only going to be able, you're only going to be able to order pizza from us if you use our app. And there's kind of like a whole bunch of cool marketing and sales benefit that comes out of, out of doing that strategically, forcing your customers into an app where you can market and cross sell and upsell instead of just using you know, the 1-800 number or uh, going through DoorDash, you got to use the Little Caesars app to do it. But, you know, they said, here's our weakest link. This is what we're going to do to strengthen it. We're going to announce it at Super Bowl because, you know, they've got the money and the resources to do that. But I think there's a lesson there for, for any entrepreneur, which is look at the weakest links in your business and say to yourself, how can I outsource this? How can I get into a relationship? Or how can I make sure that this weakest link is being dealt with by someone who's better than me? Because I think I think you'd be surprised by the results that that you'd that you'd get by 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 considering that. So there you go. You think Little Caesars could teach you something about about business? Well, <laughs> there it is. Uh, this next one was a company called Fairway Market, um, which is kind of an eclectic supermarket in the New York area. And there's quite a story. In fact, I, I this really resonated with me on many, many levels because it spoke to a whole bunch of different things that I've discovered the hard way as an entrepreneur. Um, but fundamentally, as an entrepreneur, the worst time to take money is when you are under pressure or you're desperate um, because you tend not to make the best decisions that you otherwise would have had the pressure or desperation not been there. And the other thing that I've learned is when a business is under that kind of pressure, desperation. Um, usually the business doesn't actually need money. What they need is a plan. They need to understand why they're in the position they're in, what they need to do to get out of the position they're in, and then ultimately they need time. It's not money they need, it's time that they need. And so they need time to return to profitability. They need time to put into action the changes or the adjustments that are needed to make sure that the business gets back to stability. But my jumping off point for all of that was there was this company, Fairway Market. They were serving the New York community. They were kind of second generation. Uh, They were known for having uh, products that uh, their competitors did not have. Um, But they had three partners and two of the partners kind of, you know, they, they said, you know, we'd like to get out of this business. So that they agreed to sell to a, to a private equity firm 
who finance the purchase of, of those shares through debt. And they put the debt on Fairway Market's balance sheet. In fact, about $150 million of it. And then these two partners were gone. The, private, the one partner was left with this private equity firm, and they ended up really running this business into the ground. And, and the balance sheet within five short years had, had grown to about $200 million. They ended up going public because they desperately needed money to keep going. And so they raised $177 million, and then $80 million, $80 million of that $177 was given to the venture, the private equity guys, and that left less than $100 million to fund the business and their growth plans. But by you know a few years after they had gone public, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and they had more than $267 million worth of debt on their books. And the company has kind of changed hands a few times after that. But What's so very tragic about this whole story that I think serves as a good lesson for entrepreneurs is, first of all, you need someone in your corner. When you're, when you're trying to make a big financial decision out of you know, desperation or pressure or circumstances, whatever it might be, you really do need someone in your corner that can, can help you, um, who has experience and can actually help you work through the ramifications of making the decision you're about to commit to. Um, if you don't have a plan or you don't have a big vision or you don't know where you're trying to get to, then certainly taking money doesn't, doesn't help you. It just sort of delays the inevitable. And I, I know this firsthand because I did that. I took on an investor in my business. I took it on when the business was failing, big time failing, thinking that the cash would fix everything. And it didn't. It made it, uh, it first of all, it didn't change anything. And not only that, it took a long time to unwind that particular decision uh, with the investor that that ended up putting up the money, and and it all kind of worked out in the end, but it took many, many years to get there. It was very frustrating for everybody involved, and at the end of the day, it didn't didn't really do anything. It was just a huge make-work exercise because the business was going to inevitably get to where it was going because I didn't have a plan that would suggest otherwise, and so... When I read this article and the private equity guys and the company changing hands and a bloated balance sheet and and a business trying to borrow their way out of a problem, it just resonated with me on so many levels because this is where I've spent most of my time over the last couple of decades is uh, in the debt market and working with entrepreneurs that are taking on debt to try and and pre you know try and fund whatever their plans are for the future. So uh, out of this, I just took you know if you're in a desperate position or you're under a lot of pressure. Um, chances are your business doesn't need money, but if you don't want to hear that, um, and you're going to take the money, then make sure you understand what the money's going to do specifically, how it's going to buy you more time and how you're going to use that time to change the result. And then just don't miss, don't miss what you're trying. Don't miss the targets that you're trying to hit, because at the end of the day, you probably just dug yourself a deeper hole than what you would have otherwise have had had you not taken on the money and just simply worked through the problems that your business uh, was facing. And I know it's easy for a guy like me to say that in words, but I can also share it from personal experience as well as having spent a considerable amount of time working with businesses and entrepreneurs that just, it's just like, it's just like a movie you've seen a million times because it always plays out exactly the same way. There really are no exceptions to this. So hopefully you can, you can take something uh, away from that. Um, and then kind of keeping on the trail of, of things that, that, um, you know, should cause you to sit up and take notice, um, was the company 23andMe. So this is the genetic, 
um, genetic testing company where uh, you uh, you take a swab. I think it, I've never done it, but I think you take a swab, you send it in, they send you back like this genetic history. They tell you about your ancestry, your health, and kind of some other interesting things about yourself. And, and the company has about 10 million customers. They've announced that they're laying off about 14% of their staff as their sales have begun to slow. And the company kind of said, you know, a little while ago, they said, look, we're going to be great. Things are great. We're growing. Customers really want what we have. But it kind of felt like they they sort of hit peak, um, uh, peak market penetration, which is, you know, this is how many people were prepared are on a regular basis are prepared to pay for what it is that we offer. And they just kind of can't get past that, that level. And so they, you know, they hired and they grew their infrastructure and they tried to get out ahead of what they thought was going to be a runaway opportunity because, hey, who doesn't want to know about their DNA? Anyway, it turns out that that, that didn't happen. It actually caught them off guard. And so, you know, genetic testing w- was cool for a minute, actually qu- quite a long minute. I mean, they've, they've generated an enormous amount of revenue uh, over the time that they've been out so far. Um, but then it kind of faded, you know, the 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 cultural trend shifted and and folks just are not as interested today as they once were uh, in their genetic history. And so what I took from that was that uh, as an entrepreneur, if you're experiencing a lot of success right now, uh, what parts of that success could taper off? And it doesn't even have to be like wild success. It can just be success. Like, you know, life is kind of okay. Our business isn't in trouble. We're not desperate for money. Things are kind of going okay. When was the last time you stopped and said, okay, so what happens if 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 this success starts to taper off? What would be the catalyst for that? You know, would people just not be interested in what we're doing anymore? Would price become an issue? Would someone come to the marketplace with maybe a different spin on what we do? And so therefore it would cause us to, you know, see our sales drop off a little bit. But the point of that question is to get you thinking today about what you could be planning for um, uh, in the future to ensure your success, to ensure your bottom line remains strong, to make sure that you continue to uh, appeal to customers and continue to grow your customer base. But getting out ahead of it right now is probably the best thing that you can do. And that's not to be like a Debbie Downer or a wet towel, but rather to say that um, it's very rare that a small business, uh, medium-sized business, continues to experience unbridled growth. You know, there's ups and there's downs. And as an entrepreneur, your ability to be a good leader is to anticipate the next thing around the corner. You know, if your business is down right now, you might be anticipating that it's going to go up. And so what do you need to do in, to make that happen? Or if your business is doing well right now, uh, what events or what variables could impact that success Um that might be around the corner that you could be adjusting for uh, right now. Um, What could you be doing to leverage your current success into future success by anticipating some of the things that might change? And so, you know, a company like 23andMe, huge, huge company, bunch of really rad entrepreneurs, 10 million customers, and they're looking at themselves going, "Uh uh-oh, we didn't get ahead of this. We thought that this was just going to be a runaway for quite a while. We thought we had a long runway on this and we don't. And so now we're laying off some staff and we're having to adjust because sales are starting to slow. And we didn't really, first of all, we didn't think this was going to happen, much less happen as quickly as it's happening. And so now we've really got to adjust quickly. And and in your business, this might be resonating with you right now. You might be thinking, wow, I never really thought about that because you know what? Things are kind of okay right now. But here's what you know for sure. Change is inevitable. And a prudent entrepreneur is able to look down the road and say, this is what I think is going to happen. 
And even if I'm wrong, then we're still going to be okay. But if I'm right, we're still going to be okay. Because the entrepreneur is always thinking about the next thing that they've got to be working on with their business. So I thought this was a good, just a good kind of real life example of something that entrepreneurs experience uh, all the time, right? The ups and the downs, but you know, no one's ever said, hey, you got to pay attention to this. What are you going to do about it? What, what could get in the way of your success right now? If things are going well, what could taper off? And how could you be getting ahead of that by planning um, for it today? So that's it. It's the end of this episode of News Entrepreneur's Experience. I thank you for uh, tagging along as long as you have. If this was of value to you, please feel free to share it, rate it, get it in front of other entrepreneurs who could benefit from hearing it. And uh, if you've got questions or you've got comments, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, I'm recently back on Facebook, so you can look up my page where I'm posting uh, these blog articles along with some videos and uh, would love to hear from you. Still very active on LinkedIn and would love to hear from you there as well if you think that there's something I could provide some direction or some advice on. And uh, if you haven't already done so, make sure to go check out uh, bridgecap.ca where you can learn more about a BridgeCap account, which is a new initiative that was launched this year through Bridge Capital that is designed to help entrepreneurs fix, fund, and grow their business by giving them a profile specific to where they are in their business right now and then giving them content and technology to help them get to the next level. So make sure that you check that out if you haven't already. And I sure hope you tune in next week.